This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab, and today's guest is Dr. Heidi Ginter, who brings nearly two decades of experience in the addiction treatment field and is a prominent voice in the use of medication for addiction treatment. Dr. Ginter is the Chief Medical Officer at Recovery Centers of America in both the Danvers and Westminster facilities. She has a fascinating story about what brought her into this particular field of medicine and the experiences she has had along the way. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ginter. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to talk to you, and I want to start with you. Your early life, I think, definitely influenced your choices in terms of your career, and I know your interest in medicine sort of started at a very early age, like when you were a teenager, so tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in one of the suburbs, and as part of my growing up experiences, I did a lot of babysitting, and I was fortunate enough to have my mom, who was a stay-at-home mom, lived a couple houses down from most of the places where I was working. And so if issues came up, I had her as my backup. So I was able to babysit and take care of kids on overnights when their parents went away. And I really, I really loved that early experience taking care of other people. And when was it, you know, was there a point in time when you thought, aha, medicine is what I want to do? Was there something that happened in your life? What, what, what was it that really was the catalyst? Sure. I grew up in a family where I'm the oldest of three, and there were a lot of nurses in our extended family, but no doctors. And one of the experiences I had babysitting a family who lived just a couple houses up from us was with a girl who was born very prematurely and had some neurologic complications resulting in hydrocephalus that required a shunt. And as a result of that, she was developmentally delayed and had an appearance to her as if she had some deformity of her skull. So when she was playing with the other kids, they would sort of look at her differently and she would desperately try to keep up and try to understand the rules of the games and try to participate, but she was always a couple steps behind. And I really felt very badly for her. I really thought, gosh, is there something that medicine could have done to impact her ability to sort of keep up? And I was really trying to stick up for her as the underdog. And so I started thinking, gosh, maybe if I were a pediatric neurologist or a neurosurgeon, 
is there something I could have done um, and could continue to do to help this girl sort of be part of the crew and, and keep up with her peers? I'd love to be able to help. And and well, and and you are. I mean, you went on to Yale University. You did. Uh, you earned your MD at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. You finally ended up focusing on family medicine. Talk a little bit about how you arrived at that decision and then how that parlayed into a career helping people with substance use disorders. Sure. So I clearly started getting this bug of helping others, and I recognize myself to be someone of privilege. I'm a white woman who came from a family where I was able to go to a private school and then able to go to an Ivy League school and then get an MD. And all of that confers on me so much privilege and so much power. And I thought, I'm going to use my power for good. (laughs) I'm going to figure out how I can relieve suffering, advocate for the underdog, and, and really take care of people who ordinarily wouldn't have access to excellent care. So family medicine seemed a perfect career for me. I'd be able to take care of families from birth through death. I'd be able to work in an underserved community where people access care at the location that makes sense for them, so a community health center that's near where they live and has the language capacity as well as the full spectrum of care, the psychiatric facilities, the pharmacy, the lab, sort of everything in one place to make it easy to get excellent care. And so really doing family medicine allowed me to to focus on taking care of that underdog, that underprivileged population. Yeah, and I want to talk about your work at the women's prison, the MCI Framingham, and, and how that um, I think that really is what hit your nerve, hit the passion that you have for um, serving this particular community. Talk about that, because that's a pretty fascinating story. So we were really fortunate at the community health center where I was working to be able to provide prenatal care to patients and then perform their deliveries with them. And I absolutely love that aspect of care. And we got the contract to provide the prenatal services to women who were incarcerated at the MCI Framingham facility. And going in and taking care of those women, I really found sort of, I found a a kindred spirit with them. These are women who have had significant trauma over the course of their lives. Many of them are there for drug-related offenses. And considering my mission of trying to relieve suffering and take care of people who are underserved, I really found this patient population to be the underbelly of the underserved. The women who are incarcerated with substance use disorders and are pregnant are really suffering from so many stigmatized conditions simultaneously that I really felt like advocacy for this group really was my passion. And what did, how were you received? I mean, here you are, a doctor, um, an esteemed doctor walking into a prison. And as you said, these are women who have um, been through a lot of trauma. Um, they, you know, have addiction issues, they may be pregnant. I mean, what, how did they receive you? Were they threatened at all by you? And how did you break through that? It's a great question. I don't think they were threatened by me. I think that they were suspicious. Yes. There was a lot of having to, I definitely had to prove myself. I had to prove that I was there because I cared about them, that I am somebody who's genuine, who's honest, who's going to be consistent and reliable and who's going to treat them with the dignity and respect that they deserve. And I think that I was able to do that over time. But interestingly, I think it was fortunate that I also was going through periods of my life where I was pregnant um, at times when I was working there. And I think having that shared experience to be able to be present with somebody, knowing that my body was doing what their body was too, was really valuable as well. 
I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure it's a lot for them because it's probably the first time in many of their lives, depending on their unique experiences that they bring, but that they had a person that genuinely cared, that genuinely had their interests at heart. I, that's one of the things I actually loved about the work that we were doing. I was there with other partners from my practice, and all of us had the same sort of mission to toward taking care of underserved populations and really providing these women with the most excellent prenatal care and delivery experiences that they could have, and, and really making sure that there was equity there, that their experience, just because they happen to be incarcerated, just because they happen to have substance use disorders and mental illness and trauma, didn't mean that they were going to get a different experience. They were going to get the same high-quality, amazing experience that anyone gets. And having shared having the shared value with my other partners there was really wonderful. I think it did a lot to create some uh, some comfort with the patients we were serving. What would you say is the biggest misconception that the general public has about people with um, substance abuse disorders? I think that people still continue to believe that there is solely the person's responsibility and nothing else matters, that if this person would just stop using, if they would just change, then everything would be better. And I think that we've known for so many years now that substance use disorders are chronic diseases just like hypertension, diabetes, and asthma, and in fact have the same outcomes with effective treatment as other chronic diseases that are more well-known. If people could understand that piece, I think we'd be so much further along in managing this disease process and reducing the stigma associated with it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Today, we're talking to Dr. Heidi Ginter, a thought leader in the addiction treatment field. She is the chief medical officer at Recovery Centers of America in both Danvers and Westminster. She brings her expertise and her unique perspective to families, patients, and other medical professionals who are dealing with substance use disorders. Let's get back to this very important conversation. Talk a little bit about Recovery Centers of America and what makes you different than maybe um, other centers that deal with this issue. Sure. One of the things I love about Recovery Centers of America is that we blend an individualized treatment approach with an environment of care that is respectful, dignified, and, and really uses the best of the evidence that is out there to treat patients, not only with the behavioral issues that go along with substance use disorders, but also the medications that can assist people in an environment of care that is beautiful. And I think that that piece where you really understand that your dignity and your humanity is respected is really different that RCA provides. Yeah, and and that is something that strikes me. Everybody who talks about RCA says it's an incredibly warm and inviting environment, which is so important because I think, and I mean, and you can speak to this, in order to treat somebody, the very first thing that they have to feel is a comfort level and, and a trust in the environment that they're placed in. Is is that right? I agree. I think that there, when people are coming in for early, to start their recovery early on, there are so many emotions and so many things going on in someone's brain, and they're almost in some ways looking for a reason for it not to work, <laughs> looking for a reason to have to run and have to say, no, nah, not today. And I think that RCA, the facilities and the people there really make it hard to want to leave. <laughs> in fact, you really want to stay. And our CEO says if the family wants to stay when they go to drop off their 
a family member who's getting treatment, then we've already won the battle uh, because the longer you can keep someone in treatment and the longer you can have them engaged, the better off they're going to be and the the more likely they're going to be really stable in their sobriety and have a long-term recovery. And you you referenced um, medication, and and I know you utilize something called medication-assisted treatment. Uh, at Recovery Centers of America. And there's still some stigma, of course, associated with using medication to treat substance uh, use disorders. Talk a little bit about that and how you're working to change that perception. Sure. This goes back to the issue of chronic disease. You know, when people take medications for their diabetes, we don't call it diabetes-assisted treatment. We just call it treatment. And for substance use disorders, similar concept, um, you know, this nomenclature medication-assisted treatment really makes it seem like the medicines for addiction treatment are different from those that are used for other chronic diseases, and they're really not. They're very similar. Medications for alcohol use disorder and for opioid use disorder have the same outcomes uh, and likelihood of success when they're utilized in a safe environment where they're being monitored and managed to really help people maintain their sobriety long-term and also reduce their risk of overdose, reduce their risk of relapse, and increase the likelihood that they're going to stay engaged and retain their sobriety. So the medications for addiction treatment are really, really powerful, and, and they are stigmatized because people still have this belief that it's a behavioral problem only and that you don't need a crutch like a medicine or you don't need a substitution of one drug for the other. The, the medications for addiction treatment are not substitutions. They're actually therapeutic and can really make a big difference in someone's recovery. And can people be on those long term? They can. Some people can be on them for life in the same way that some people are on medications for hypertension for life. You know, I like to use a comparison. If you have high blood pressure, one of the things that will happen, your doctor will talk to you about the diet that you should follow, the exercise regimen, and then if that isn't actually controlling your hypertension, then we add medications, but we don't make the behavior stuff go away. You still have to follow the diet and the exercise. Same thing with addictions. Some people are able to retain and sustain recovery with group therapy, with uh, 12-step meetings, and then there are other people who the behavioral changes aren't sufficient. They really do need the added piece of medication, and for some people, medication for life is the thing that keeps them sober. That's certainly not everyone, but it is certainly an option that we do talk to people about. And you do both inpatient and outpatient programs. Can you describe sort of the difference and and how that works? Yes. Inpatient, we have two different levels of care. One is detox, which usually lasts about a week for people who are coming in and need a really substantial medical piece to making sure that they don't have complications from withdrawal from benzos, uh, benzodiazepines, alcohol, or opiates. And then a short-term residential side, which is up to a month of treatment. And that's where we really get into the behavioral piece and the motivations. And how do you change someone to get to the point where they're leading a life that doesn't have to use alcohol or other drugs to feel normal and, and to get back where they want to be. We have these wonderful tracks of behavioral treatment for specific populations like first responders or people who are above the age of 40 or people who have a history of recurrences with their disease. And, and so you can really find a niche within the treatment population for people who are like-minded and have experiences similar. Um, On the outpatient side, we have outpatient uh, one-on-one therapy. We also have group therapy and IOP. Um, 
intensive outpatient options, as well as a really robust alumni community where people who have graduated and want to stay connected to other people who are successful in their sobriety can really meet on a regular basis and do social things that don't involve drugs or alcohol. Now, once patients complete a program at RCA, um, I'm imagining that the work is not done. They can still you know, plug into an alumni network, maybe still go to support groups, sort of an ongoing journey throughout their recovery. Um, Is that true? Absolutely. We really think of the inpatient piece as the beginning of somebody's recovery and really the tip of the iceberg because recovery is a lifelong process. And for many people, getting involved in 12-step meetings, whether it's AA, NA, or others, can be really helpful. For other people, smart recovery meetings are great. For some people, they really need more intensive treatment, like an IOP or a partial hospitalization for a period of time. And then for others, as they get further into their recovery, they really are looking for social events. And so our alumni group and the ways that they engage people in just maintaining that social peace with other like-minded, sober individuals. So many options. Of course, we didn't even talk again about the medications, which we continue to uh, provide and then support people in finding additional providers if they're moving on to other locations. But a lot of the recovery happens outpatient. It's really the beginning when you're inpatient, and then the robust and long-term piece of it is the outpatient work. You know, it's funny. It strikes me as you're talking how passionate you are about this work. What What is it about this particular work that keeps you um, so excited about what you do and so, um, I guess, so passionate? I love that word, and I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. I, I think that it's really, it's very much a privilege to be able to listen to someone's story when they are really describing what it's like to be part of a stigmatized disease process and experience prejudice at all sides, from family, from the ER, from whatever, and be able to say, I hear you, and I see you, and I'm grateful that I get to take a couple steps beside you on your path of recovery and that you're willing to provide me that privilege and that honor. And I just, I am so impressed with what people can do and how fast they can change. This disease can change on a dime. And you can see people get their lives back in weeks and months, whereas some chronic diseases take really years before you see any progress. This chronic disease can change on a dime, and it's remarkable to watch it. Absolutely a privilege. It must be so satisfying to see um your work paying off so directly. I mean, you're working one-on-one with these people and you're seeing how you're changing the trajectory of their lives. Um, and and that must be incredibly, I guess, humbling and satisfying. It is. And it's actually one of the things that I love about then being able to bring this message to other groups of physicians who really haven't been able to figure out how to incorporate substance use disorder treatment into their Uh, practices, whether it's groups of family doctors or um, obstetric gynecology groups or other groups, you know, being able to describe how satisfying this work really is, is really fun. And so I like to go out and do talks to engage other groups of physicians and try to bring them along um, and and see how they can incorporate this work and really get some of that feedback, that, that positive piece, as well as helping people reduce their risk of death. 
you know, we're in a pandemic, but the opioid epidemic and the overdoses associated with it didn't stop because we started focusing on COVID. And so really trying to think, what can you do in your practice to help engage these patients as well as reduce their risk of death and, and have some satisfaction on the other side? Yeah, and I love that you brought that up. That I mean, our, the world is crazy right now. It's upside down in every way. Um, there's protests going on, and, and we've got a, a worldwide pandemic, and yet, you know, these issues um, are pretty much blind to all of that. I mean, if you have um, a substance abuse disorder, um, you know, it's it's pretty blind to what else is going on in the world, and, and I think that we need to remember that, that that's going on out there. I agree, and I think, you know, mentioning the protest is a really big deal as well. Thinking about people of color and how this disease process impacts them is really front and center in my mind now, too. I was not aware until recently how different the outcomes are for people of color versus whites in terms of death rates, in terms of access to care, in terms of who gets referred for certain kinds of care. And so I'm realizing, again, that from my position of power and the desire that I have to help other people relieve suffering and advocate for the underdog, I've really got to start focusing on people of color and helping them get the access to the care that the other people who I've been serving have and really advocating in a bigger way when I'm doing talks for medical groups to help them understand that this is a patient population we really need to focus on so that they get equity in their care as well. Yeah, so well said. And we're running out of time, but I'm told that you have a gratitude alarm and I'm intrigued by what that means. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's a wonderful practice. About 10 years ago, a dear friend of mine who's in long-term recovery explained to me how important gratitude is in recovery. And I started setting an alarm on my phone to go off every day at 10 o'clock in the morning. And no matter what I'm doing, often I'm seeing patients, the alarm will go off and I will stop the alarm and say to the patient or whomever I'm with, I'm sorry, this is my daily gratitude alarm and I need to take a couple seconds to think of what I'm grateful for. And so no matter what I'm doing, I stop and think, what am I grateful for right now? And often when I'm with a patient, I have the privilege of being able to say, I'm grateful for this time that I get to spend with you, hearing your story and helping you. So you share you share what you're Oof. thinking aloud with your patient. I do. Oh, I good. Do. And it's wonderful. And yeah. So a lot of people are really impressed with that and sort of adopt the gratitude alarm themselves. So I'm hoping that it becomes a movement that spreads out into the community and everyone gets to enjoy the peace associated with it. That's so neat. And what, I mean, do you have mentors that have played an important role in your life, in your career? I do. You know, my uh, recently there's a man, Steve Cassells, who is the physician, uh, one of the founders of the prior organization I was working for, who had been in emergency medicine, and he and a couple of partners thought that they could really do a better job of taking care of people with substance use disorders than what they were seeing in their ER practices. And he has been wonderful in that he demonstrates to me the places where the business side and the care side and the personal side intersect, and thinking about thoughtful ways to maintain a business while also meeting the needs of this special patient population. So he's been really wonderful for that. In addition, he's the one who introduced me to another mentor, a woman named Lee Knapp, who helped us with the DISC training, which is a 
model of management, and it really helped me see the ways that I communicate and how sometimes they're effective and how sometimes they're not so effective. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me be a better communicator and be a better listener for those people who I'm managing as well as people who I'm treating. So I think those two people have really made a huge difference in my ability to care for patients in a more mature and sort of substantive way. Yeah, and I'm sure you're making a huge difference in a lot of people's lives too, acting as a mentor to others. I want to wrap by uh, having you tell people if they're interested in learning more about Recovery Centers of America, how they can do that. Absolutely. So 1-800-RECOVERY is our number where there is someone there ready to answer within a ring or two. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then our website, recoverycentersofamerica.com, those are two amazing resources, and they are available all the time. If there are any questions at all, the 1-800-RECOVERY number is the best place to start. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Heidi Ginter, for your perspective, for your thoughtful insights, your expertise in the field. Uh, very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thanks to Dr. Heidi Ginter for being our guest on Exceptional Women today. More specifically, thank you for telling us more about the programs and work being done at Recovery Centers of America as you help people in their ongoing journey through recovery. We thank you for your time and your dedication to this important issue. You've been listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. It is our honor and privilege to shine a light on the change makers and to provide a platform for people who are out creating meaningful change in our communities. Thank you for paying attention and for helping us create meaningful programming. We'd love to hear from you if you know someone who is making a difference. Just email us or send us a message on our Magic Facebook page. I'm Sue Tab, and along with my co-host and producer, Kendra Petroni, we'd like to invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 7.30 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.